one of the most exciting things that's happening. We had, I was looking for Ted and Martha. Martha called us. Yeah, Thursday night. They're on a show. They're having their arts and crafts and paintings and on display. But Martha called us, and let me get correct because Paige Joyce is telling me, but Ted had a severe heart attack, what, 10 years ago? Maybe a little longer. But anyway, he thought he was having another series of problems with his heart. Martha called and said his heart is better than it was five years ago, and it's better than it was three years ago, and it's just almost perfect. And so it wasn't a heart trouble at all. He, he can do anything he wants to do. We're not going to have sickness. Uh, I tell the Lord we can't build a church on funerals. This is his church, and, and he's promised us, and so we're going to hang in there. The battle, but we win. That's why I love and I appreciate Edwin taking some extra time this morning and seeing victory in Jesus because, you know, I was yesterday in Austin and I told Pay Joyce last night, I said, I was very amazed. I never saw a person. I sat outside and watched people go into the Targets and all those places my wife had to go into and see if there's anything special. I told her they have the same displays they have everywhere, you know, but anyway, she went in there, but I watched the people. It was very interesting. I never saw a person smiling. I never saw one person, and I literally saw hundreds of people going in stores. This should be the happiest time of her life. It's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, the kids should, I didn't see a kid singing, I didn't see a kid whistling, I didn't see a kid smiling, I didn't see anything of happiness. Saw a lot of fights, leaving. Yesterday was just a pathetic day down there. I just praised God and I could get back to Brownwood. I thought, you know, I don't want to be a witness to this old boy getting on to his wife. But I want to tell you something. God is God of miracles. And we have the answer and it is Jesus Christ. Amen. And we need to get a hold of it and just hang on to it. And I was, uh, Paige Joyce has been reading this book, Left Behind. Is that the right name of it? And his man and his wife, it's a uh, fiction book, but it's very, very real in the fact that this man and his wife, he was an airplane pilot, and, and he disliked being radical for Jesus. And so he went to church, and people started saying, you know, what's Jesus doing in his life? And, and he finally learned a phrase that he could say and to get people off his back, and he'd say something like, God's just blessing my socks off. <coughs> I thought he used what terminology I use occasionally. But I thought it was very interesting. It got people not to ever ask him about his relationship with Jesus. And when the rapture came... He and his daughter were left behind. His wife and, uh, and son went to heaven. And it's talking about how the, the struggles and the things that they're facing because they're left behind. And I thought, Lord, I want to be radical for you. I know it's fiction, you know, and it means a heart. But I, if it means worshiping and praising with my hands raised high, I want to do it. Because I want to tell you something. When I hear victory reports like I'm being here, like we're hearing now, I want to keep on praying. I want to keep on walking with God. And I'm excited about it. We pray through November the 22nd. That's 40 days. But if you, like the rest of us, I hope you'll keep on praying. I mean, you might not have to pray at 3 in the morning. But I hope you'll pray an hour. Because we shouldn't quit once we start seeing miracles. This is one of the sad things. I've seen husband and wives getting separated. And the old boy will do things so right, you know, until he gets her back. And then he goes back like he always did it. That's sick. We do the same, same thing with God. We do it right as long as we're hurting, as long as we're in trouble. We pray, man, we're in church. We, you know, we can't 
wait to, for the offering plate to come by, but as soon as our problems get released, we quit it. We should keep on going. If it starts getting good, it can always get better. See, that's not my sermon. But I just wanted you to know this morning, good things are happening. Keep on praying, keep on believing, because God is moving. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to learn some exciting things, because I learned from this myself. We're in uh, Psalms 42nd chapter, verse 1. I love to hear pages rattle. It tells me a great deal. Sight and sound always works a whole lot better than just uh, sound. You know, retention is unbelievable high when you have sight and sound. That's why TV burns into you so heavy, because it's sight and sound. They have a media that was, is really phenomenal in, in going into your memory. So we, this morning we're going to read our Bible. Uh, Psalms 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. In other words, he is wanting everything from God. We have to realize what this old boy is after. My soul thirsts for God... For the living God, not a dead God, not a God that doesn't work, but a living God. When shall I come and appear before God? But then the interesting thing is, look down to verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? The answer is, hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. O my God, my soul is in, is in despair within me. Now, here he is saying, I want more of God, and he's down here saying, why am I in the Spirit? Let's go on down to verse 11, in the same uh, book, 42nd chapter. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So we say, well, he's having a bad day. Well, in the next psalm, Psalms 43, look at verse 5 there. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, we're going to be talking today about discouragement. I want us to understand and how to get out of it. But he's saying, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you discouraged? Hope in God. This is the problem that we're having this day and age. Eighty-some-odd percent of the people are in one form of depression or another here in this country today. It's amazing. I want to discuss the main secrets of overcoming despair. There's more depression between Thanksgiving and Christmas than any other time of the year. As a pastor and as a, when we meet as a minister alliance and things like that, if the pastors say, we almost hate see Thanksgiving come. Because it starts a series of depression in people. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be a victory. Sadly, every one of us has the opportunity to get depressed at times. Have you noticed we can have something physically wrong with us, and as long as we're not down mentally, it doesn't affect us that much. But you let us get mentally down, and physically just looms out. Friday, I was, I don't know how many, did anybody hear Friday's, uh, James Dobson's program? That was the most amazing program I've, I guess I've ever listened to. The guy and his wife were making a video 
of their of their life and what she expected her little daughter to know because she had terminal cancer. And so she was making plans for the daughter when she was 16 years of age she, and her values. And she's in planning in this whole library of videos uh, of what her plans were so her daughter would know her true mother's desires for her life even though she wasn't there. Now, the interesting thing about that, it wasn't morbid. It was one of the most upbeat programs I've heard in a long, long time considering the seriousness of what the, was going to happen. The lady had a crisp sparkle in her voice. And I thought, my goodness, the lady has terminal cancer and she's excited about life. Now, if she had been down mentally over this thing, how it would have affected her would have been horrible and it affected everybody else on the radio. But it was amazing how if we will allow God to keep our mind out of depression, we can get through almost any tragedy. But when the soulish man becomes a little depressed and droops a little, as an interpretation of depression, we droop a little, it affects our entire body, soul, and spirit. It starts us downward. It starts us thinking. And everything in you wants to give in to it and give up. Let me ask you something. Is there anybody here that has not experienced depression at one time or despair? I think every one of us have. But the point is, I'm going to encourage you today. Because I want you to get a hold how to fight this thing that the world says is ours. And it's certainly not medication. Medication has some side effects. It affects it some, but it doesn't have the answer. God is the answer. And we're going to see how it answers. In 42, here we see a man whose heart was after God. He wanted everything that God had. He says, "My, uh, just like a deer pants for the water. Have you ever seen a deer run for long ways? He, he gets so thirsty. And he comes <laughs> to the brook and he wants a drink of water. And this is what beautiful psalm is saying here. So my soul pants for thee, O God. That's the way I want God. I want everything in me. I want him. See? He wants a love walk with God. He wants a relationship with God. He wants a appearance with God. And then he says to himself, Why are you in despair, O my soul? What's wrong with us? This should encourage us to realize that some people, even though they have written a part of their Bible, they have done a magnificent job for God, Occasionally, they got into despair. Now, if you'll think with me, John the Baptist was one that amazed me. Now, this fellow was at the baptismal service when the cloud came over, and he says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased with. But you put John the Baptist in prison, and that's where he went. It wasn't long that he was sitting there, and he said, are you really the Messiah, or should I look for someone else? Now, I think that's interesting. Why did he move from knowing that Jesus is the Messiah to asking whether he is? My feeling is maybe he expected Jesus to get him out. I don't know what happened to John the Baptist, but something caused him to get down that day. And he sent word to it, to Jesus. Another person who got in depression was Elijah. Elijah had just had a tremendous experience on Mount Carmel. If you'll remember the story, prophets of Baal, 300 of them, he, he had challenged them to say, is your God God or is my God God? 
You remember they built this altar and then they put wood on it and, and he says, if, it's, if your God's God, he'll come down and burn the thing up. You know, and they went around and of course, you remember the story how they cut themselves and how they cried and they went from morning till night trying to get their God to do something. Of course, when you serve a God of idol, it's not going to do anything. I mean, why are they believing in it? Who knows? But anyway, it's demonic in itself there. But anyway, when Elijah come evening time, he said, all right, gentlemen, I'm going to do something even greater than I'm going to pour 60 gallons of water or, or 600 gallons. I, I've heard various measurements, but a tremendous amount of water on, on the wood and on the altar and the ditch around it. And he said, my God's going to burn it all up. What happened? Fire came down out of heaven and burnt that entire altar and, and the rocks and everything, if I remember the story. It's amazing what happened. But the point was, immediately he killed the 300 prophets of Baal. Personally. Now that was interesting in itself. How would one man kill 300 men? All right, next in line. Next in line. Come on, keep moving. You know, I don't know how he did it. But the point is, he did. And he had a real relationship with God that time. And he was, he was on a mountaintop. And what happened? Jezebel said, I won't kill you, buddy. And where did he go? He ran as hard as he could to find a place to hide. And then he got in such a severe depression, he said, I want to die, God. It's all over. Now, how could he move from being, seeing the power of God move so strongly to where he couldn't believe God for protection? I don't know. Depression usually starts with a little frustration, if you'll think about it. All of us get frustrated when something doesn't go right. And then we begin to allow a little bit of disappointments kind of enter into our thinking. And from there, we begin to withdraw a little bit. You know, I think I'll stay home tonight. Y'all go ahead and go without me. I think I'll stay here. Uh, and just think, really, is what they're saying. And we go over it again. And then we become less talkative to our family and to friends and people like that. We kind of withdraw. And, of course, by us withdrawing, the other folks kind of withdraw. He says, well, he's just having a bad day. We might just kind of skirt around him. We don't want to disturb him. See, we do the very things that causes us to get more in depression. And then we begin to miss a few church services. And then because we miss a few services, we come back and and we kind of ease in and we kind of stand along like this and we kind of, we droop. That's what one of the interpretations of depression is droop. We kind of droop and we just stand there. And of course, no one's going to come up to her and knock us out of the misery. We need to. But, you know, it's not too, too good to come up and say, Hi, guy, how's everything going? When you know he's depressed. See, you don't do him that way. So you kind of ease around him again. He gets home and he says, you know, really nobody loves me at church anymore. And they really don't care that I'm in this severe depression. No one even talked to me today. And so, not long after that point, the guy is in a full-blown depression. But notice what David said here. Well, he answered it. When discouragement comes in, he says, hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Isn't that interesting? For the help of his presence, I shall again praise him. See? Now, hope is what gives your faith a jump start. David knew hope better than anyone else, probably. 
he had all sorts of problems, and yet God delivered him out. But hope in anything other than God himself is meaningless. So he could have said, well, I can believe in my 400 men being able to go into battle. I think we can take care of Saul if we should go to battle, so forth. Uh-uh. He said, I'm believing in God, hoping the Lord. The only way we're going to stay out of discouragement is believing and focusing our hope in Jesus Christ. We cannot do it on anything else. We can't do it on our bank account. We can't do it on our savings account. We cannot do it on our job or any one thing other than Jesus. Because whatever can be shaken will be shaken in these last days. That's what the Bible says. So if you're in despair, you need to get your hope on God. Your hope is what keeps your dream alive until it comes to pass. You have to have a dream. Without a vision, my people perish. So I want you to mark it down today what the answer is. You'll take it back to your bulletin or piece of paper. It's real simple, but it's the most powerful thought that you'll ever think on. You have to know that you're called by God. That's interesting. That's all it is. That God designed you for this very hour. You have to know that. Well, I don't know. No. And that God has a purpose for your life. Well, I don't know about that. I, you know, I can't find my calling. See, all those kind of things are little tidbits of despair. You have to know that you're called by God. If you don't know that you're called by God and that he has purpose for you, if you don't have a vision, you'll never be able to keep your hope alive for very long. It'll start waning on you. You'll get all pumped up on Sunday morning. You'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And by Monday evening, I don't know. You know I sure wished I could get my hope up. You know, we go downhill. We have to know that we're called by God and God has a purpose for our life. So we begin to ask God, God, I need a vision. If writing a covenant out in the Bible of the kind of job you need, and then it, it comes about after a year, folks, don't you think God's going to give you a vision of what he wants you to do here on this earth? He certainly will. He will give you what you desire if you really desire. But we so many times, well, I don't know. He might send me to Bangladesh. I certainly don't want to go over there. Oh, man, I heard they got crazy people over there. When you go down to Austin, you can find crazy people down there. <laughs> the point is, you have to know what God has called you to do on this earth. If you don't know that you're called by God, then you need to study the Word of God until you see in the Word of God and it fires off that thing inside of you, what God has called you to do. Because he will put into you the, his desires that he wants you to do. And it will go along with your desires. If he should happen and wants you to go to Bangladesh, you're going to want to go more than he wants you to get down there. You're already going to be there and you say, Lord, where is my mission field here? You know, I'm, I'm here in Bangladesh, Lord, and I'm looking. You know, what am I supposed to do? Let's, let me go, let me go, see? He's not going to send you down there and you didn't want to go. You wanted to go to Hawaii. Woo! You know, here I am in Bangladesh. No, it's not going to be like that. God is going to put you in you what he wants you to do. You're no different though than David. 
You're no different than John the Baptist or anyone else. God has a calling on your life and he is no respecter of people. There's no big shots and little shots in heaven. Only big shots, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And they're so big, there's no little shots. I mean, he just, he just it. You know, there's such a big difference. It's kind of like flying over the earth. Have you ever flown real high over the earth? Big mountains are little nothing. You can't even see a mountain when you're that high up. You know, something we think, man, that'd take me a week to walk up. You know, you fly over and do it. You can't even tell us there. I got to fly over the Alps over in Switzerland. And I want to tell you something. They are huge. The only way I could tell those Alps is because a guy came on. He said, you're flying over the Swiss Alps. But if I was down there looking at those Swiss Alps, I'd have a whole different perspective. So what I'm telling you is God is so big that Swiss Alps are not a big problem in your life. You have to think on that as long as I can remember, though, God was working in my life. When I was a little kid, occasionally we'd go to church, and I would think about the Bible stories. And I thank God for the Sunday school teachers and people that will take their time and teach us little kids. There are some of those things still stick in my mind today. I can remember when I would be studying about Moses, and they'd talk about, uh, you know, his big beard. I was in denominational church, and so it's a lot of physical things that they'd discuss. But it, they'd come across this thing that God spoke to Moses. Well, I'd think, well, I wonder why he quit speaking. You know, what happened? I'd like to know. And so as a little guy, I knew that there's something more, and I couldn't figure it out. As I got older, I, throughout my days at Pepsi, I spent 16 years in that business. And the interesting thing was, I knew this, there's more to life than selling a bottle of Pepsi. Had to be. You know. I knew there's more to life than making reflective tape out here at 3M Company at 2 in the morning. I knew there's more to life than making an oil well valve at FMC that's going to be shipped to Alaska and nobody would see other than the poor guy had to repair the thing. So there had to be something more to life. And so when I had the opportunity to go full-time in the ministry, I started thinking, God, I'd love to be able to affect people's lives. All at once, he started giving me dreams. I had dreams of winning people to the Lord. At night, I'd sit there and dream and be thousands, literally, would come to know Jesus. And then I'd have a dream of people being filled with the Holy Spirit and the whole church would just start bubbling over and speaking in tongues. I'd have dreams of people getting delivered and things like this. And I'd tell Paige Joyce about them. And I'd say, man, can you believe that it was just a dream? But it was a dream that was planted down on inside me. And that dream started fueling other dreams. And we remember, and Betty's back there, but you remember, and all you guys, we had every home for Christ. And we handed out a pamphlet that was on salvation. And we knocked on 7,000 doors here in Brownwood. Early, bangs, and blanket, if I remember right. And it was a phenomenal thing that we was able to accomplish. It took us about three years, if I remember right. But we worked at it. But all of us worked hard at this thing. And then we had a good news newspaper. And we sent that out over Brownwood. And it was tremendous success. Very, very expensive. And we had to kind of pull back after a while. But it was very effective in witnessing for the Lord. And then God said, because you're so faithful over this little track. And he called it a little track. I thought it was really a pamphlet. He said, I'm going to give you something to really reach the people. And he gave us the radio station. 
And I thought that was interesting. We didn't have a dime to buy the equipment for the radio station. We had, had the tower and a few things like that, but nothing else. And people would come up to me and they'd say, oh man, I'm so excited. When's the radio station going to get on the air? And I'd say, when are you going to start giving some money? You know, <laughs> Bowen always remember that story. You know, man, it's 30 some odd thousand dollars just get the thing to light up the light bulb on top of the tower almost. I'm, just, I'm not serious. But it was just incredibly expensive. We didn't have a nickel. And people said, oh man, I'm so excited about it. And that would almost throw me in depression, though. Because I'd think, why, if it's so much needed in this community, why is God not providing? Well, he did. It just wasn't on my timing. See? This is what we're going to have to handle today. Is it God? And then secondly, is it God's timing? But we sit there and we get all messed up in that area. We had the academy over here. I had a dream some 20 years before when I was on the school board. I dreamed of someday starting a school that we could teach. Now, I just had got saved and called my chaplain at the school board meeting. I appreciated it, really, because obviously I had troubles down there because I could not get cursing taken out of the place in the school. They was using God's name in an opening sentence on the play, and I went in executive meeting, I called executive meeting, and I said, look, gentlemen, we don't need to be teaching our kiddos how to curse from the platform or in life, period. What do you think? One of them said, and he is a deacon in his church, he says, you know, if we change the script, we won't win scholastic honors. I said, who cares? That was like throwing a rock at the golden calf. Who cares? I was now radical. See? I said, I want kids dressed well in school. What do we have now? See? I said, I want the discipline. What do we have now? But I want to tell you something. God put something in me 20-some years ago for this very day, and we started a school without a dime, and we still got that dime that we're looking at. <laughs> but we're going to make it. He got us through on the radio station, he'll get us through on the school. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I don't know one thing. God's done it because I've tried everything I know to do. And it's about time he comes through because when I give up, he starts. But I'm going to show you a paradox. In remembering your vision that God gives to you, your dream, because it doesn't come about immediately while you're waiting on your vision, you will be tempted to get back into depression. Now that's an interesting paradox, this thing. You have to know that you're called by God, but while you're waiting on your calling, it's the biggest temptation in the world to get in depression. I fought more in that area than any, probably any area of my entire life. Because I say, God, I know that you, you spoke it to me, did everything you told me, and it's not coming about, Lord. Hello, Lord, this Jack Ruth down here, I'm, I'm reporting in, you know, do you know me? I'm about that condition sometimes. I say, God... Don't you even care about this thing. It's all falling down around my head. And he probably tells him, Angel over there, Angel, watch him now. He's just now getting in the mood to let me do my work. He thinks he's been doing it up until now. See? How often do we do that? You can never make me believe that being kicked out of a denominational church because of spoken tongues and getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit I would still have been down there at that church with that big pipe organ and the chandeliers sitting in there thinking how wonderful this is. But I got kicked out of that place. I thought he was going to give me a plaque that day that I went in there 
He, he was fixing to ask me to leave. Boy, you talk about a change of emotions. I went in there and I was so excited about what this preacher was going to do for me. I had 13 kids when we started the class. I only had one. Had 13 little boys and was growing. And he said, did you tell him uh, having a Ouija board is, of Satan? I said, yeah, boy. I said, yes, sir. He said, you know what that little boy did? And I said, no, sir. I thought he was going to do me, tell me something big. The kid said, he went home and his mom and he cried and came to see me. I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, you know, it'd be best you didn't teach Sunday school class. I said, are you kidding? I really did. I said, are you kidding? I thought he was going to give me a plaque and said, man, I'm so glad you stood up against Ouija board. He said, no. He said, in fact, it'd be best you didn't come here. I walked out of that church and I thought, oh, to God, don't let me die. I couldn't, I forgot that funeral homes had a chapel in them. And I thought if I died, there's no church to bury me in. I'm serious. When I walked across Davis Morris funeral lot down there, that's what I thought that day. Oh, man, I can't afford to die right now. I've got to find a church so I can die in. <laughs> Most of the time, when we think God has forgotten us, he's just trying to get us out of the way so he can do his work. If God answered our prayers according to our time schedule and everything we won from him according to our wristwatch on timing, we'd be ruined. It was like Abraham when God told him, he said, you're going to have a son and that son's going to be a father of many nations and you're going to be a father of many nations and all that kind of stuff and you're going to have children like the sins, like the count the sand out there in the, on the seashore. That's how many you're going to have or count the stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. Oh, Abraham, I mean, he was excited that day. But as time passed, you got to think, God, maybe I need to be doing something. Maybe I need to help you out. And he helped himself out. He got in trouble. He had Hagar, and you remember had Ishmael, and ever since we've had trouble in that group of people over there. God help them. It was a mistake on Abraham. But the point is, God said, I'm not going to fail you, Abraham. Even though time has passed, years have passed, Look at Sarah, She's, she can't have children. Look at yourself. But you're, you're old and gray and wore out. And it looked like it's all gone. And then God says, now I can work. Because it's not going to be you, Abraham. It's not going to be Sarah. It's going to be me. And I'm going to get the glory. And he got the glory. I want you to look at Romans 4.18. Because it is so important that we understand what God's telling us to do. To get out of depression, we need to do what God tells us to do. He did it for Abraham, he'll do it for us. Romans 4.18. Abraham had to trust God, and he had to keep his hope built up in God. And God brought through the vision, and he brought through the reality of his own way and his own timing. But here's what he's saying in Romans 4.18. It says, in hope against hope, Abraham believed. Isn't that interesting? In hope against hope. Now it takes your hope to keep your hope going. In order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now that's not very tangible in many ways, but that is the essence of getting out of depression. You just believe God. God says it, just believe it. 
Now you wonder, so, well, why doesn't he come out real quick? You want to know why? Turn to Exodus 13. He'll tell you why. Exodus 13, second book over and from the front. You don't use it too much, but it's up there. Exodus 13, verse 17. God knows us. See, this is the problem. He knows us so much that he makes allowances for it. Keeps us from getting more in trouble. Exodus 13, 17. Now it came about when Pharaoh had let his people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Why? Even though it was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war. When they see opposition, they will return back to Egypt. And how many times? Oh God, if I'd known this vision's going to cause this much trouble, I would never done it. Well, that's exactly what he's telling us right here. He kept a whole nation, five million people, from going in the short way because they were afraid of the Philistines. And they would have gone back into slavery. They would have gone back. They would give it all. Man, I, I'm sorry. I'd ask for your silver and gold. Here, here, here's that vase. You know, it had been broke again because they saw the Philistines. Now, who is the Philistines in our day and age? Poverty is one of the biggest Philistines we've got today. Man, we look at it. Well, I could have a big Christmas if I didn't have poverty. See? Man, we talk about it all the time. I am so broke, I can't even pay attention. You know, if there's ever a way of a nickel to roll out of my hand, it sure will do it. We talk ourselves into that poverty mentality, and we got a Philistine, and so we run back to Egypt. Because it's too big for us. It's too hard for us. We don't want to do it, God. We don't want to do what your vision showed us. Because it's too hard. Well, in and of itself, it is too hard for you and I. But with God, we can do it. Right. Preached myself, Jack. That's real good. You need to get a hold of that, Jack. That is what I've been talking to you about. You have to let God do it, Jack. Appreciate you all listening. I, I just want to get that worked out in my own heart because it's very difficult sometimes for me to understand that. I go into the peoples down here. I start looking at things and I start saying, God, this, this, and this, and this, and this is all wrong. See? And then he says, but you hadn't thought about this. Well, I didn't know that even existed. That's what I've been talking to you about. This. See? Huh. Isn't that interesting? Now, it's so wonderful to have that. God, I didn't know that thing existed. You know, you didn't let me in on that thing, Lord. I knew all about this other stuff, but you didn't tell me about that thing. See, this is what I'm talking about. There's things that you and I don't know. Every time I've got in depression, it's because I figured out how God could do something. Man, I've thought some good thoughts sometimes. There was no reason that God didn't do the way I thought he should have done it. Man, it was a humdinger. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Every time I've had a humdinger, it has never worked that way. And I've quit having those humdingers. I just, I've, I've really got discouraged with the humdingers. I mean, there's no reason that God didn't do it that way. I mean, it, it was all in place. It was a perfect timing. It came and went. You think I'm teasing. God told me about selling a home. We had a home here in Brown. 
And he said, you're going to sell it for $31,500 in February. Well, praise God. I went out and got a real estate broker. And I said, I want to tell you something. This is a bird on the ground. Well, I put my faith on line. See, that's why I'm, I'm telling you about The guy looked at me like, you hear God? And I said, you bet you. He said, I'm going to sell this house in February. And he said, it'll sell for $31,500. He said, you know what it's valued at? I said, I have no idea. And he said, $28,000. He said, $31,500 is $3,500 over appraisal. He said, you don't sell it for that kind of price. I said, well, that's what God said. You know, this is September. Bless her heart, Bajo showed that house three and four times a week. I'd always put up all my stuff, you know, because here they're coming through at 10 o'clock or 3 o'clock. You know, it's unreal. I want to tell you something. February came and went. And it didn't sell. Didn't even get close to it. And then you have a mother-in-law that you just love to hear. And she calls you in about January. And she says, you want to sell that house? Oh, man, stupid. You know. Do I want to sell that house? Man, we was having so much trouble. We couldn't pay the interest on the, on the notes that were coming due. I'd send Paige Joyce down there and I'd say, you go talk to the bank. And I figured if the banker ate her, then it'd give me time to run. Because, <laughs> seriously, I, I didn't have an answer. I had run out of every answer I could think of. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> Apologize to her. But the, but the point was, my mother-in-law calls me, and she says, you want to sell that house? That's a stupid question. Do I want to sell that house? I've been trying to sell it to everybody come along. I talked to everybody about it. This is the most beautiful house you could ever buy. It is exactly what you want. And it didn't do any good. Well, think about it. That's the last I'd ever see that person. She said, what you need is to build a fire in the fireplace. Well, okay. <laughs> and you need to cook, cook a loaf of bread. Well, and then you need to run an ad in the paper. So we did it. This guy calls us from Brady, Texas. And he says, do you have a house at 1028 Lamont for sale? I thought, oh, man, I've had that thing for sale for a year and a half. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure do. You know, he said, would you save it for me? <laughs> One time, six people were standing out here in line, but there wasn't, you know. <laughs> I kid you not, that guy said, I'm going to be right up. He came right up, and he said, here is the cash. We're so, about it, so excited about buying a house. This is exactly the house we wanted. We was moving into a new home. Pedro says, what month is this? I thought, oh man, how in the world can you, I could understand, not understand what day of the month it is, but how could you say, what month is this? I said, honey, it is February. She said, I thought you'd need to know because God said, you're going to sell your house in February. And we did. And I had forgot because a year later. I am telling you, you have to keep your hope in God. Don't do like I did. I tell people, I didn't lose his hair up in front by combing it. (laughs) 
Some of us think, I could get out of my depression if God just gave me a million dollars. I heard a guy on TV there and I thought this was phenomenal. He says, you're a liar. I used to tell Pedro, if God would give me a million dollars, I would be so happy. Well, you got something better than a million dollars, and that's Jesus Christ, and how many people are you going to tell about it? See, be honest with yourself this day. How many people have you led to Jesus this year? How many people, let's narrow it down a little more. How many people have you told Jesus Christ is my best friend? And if you think you're going to get a million dollars, you're going to tell everybody about it, you better tell them about Jesus Christ. Because he is so much better than a million dollars. But he probably knows it would ruin me if I'd been given a million dollars, and you too. Because a shortcut is not the best way, because that's what he said. He said, at least they see the Philistines and they return back to Egypt. We'd get a million dollars, we'd probably lose the thing. We'd make some big adventure, and there it'd go. We're, we're afraid in what he has given to us, though, causes us depression. But if we get unafraid and we get fearless, then he'll give us more, and we'll see miracles happening. And in the meantime, he'll keep discouragement from coming in on us, on his promises. Joseph, another one, had all the opportunities to get in very big dumps. You remember him? He was a guy that, that God gave a vision to. It's amazing. I want you to turn to Genesis 37. I'll wrap this thing up, but it is so amazing. Genesis chapter 37, verse 5. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they loved him more. You could enjoy that if you take out the word even. They hated him even more. Now, he wasn't in good shape to begin with, and then they hated him more. And he said to them, please listen to this dream which I've had. Oh, he's saying, brothers, God gave me this dream, and I want you to listen to it. It's kind of amazing to me. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect. And behold, your sheaf gathered round and bowed down to my sheaf. Now, wouldn't that go over big time? Then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his word. They hated him so much they threw him in a well, in a pit. And probably where we got, he's, down, he's in the pits, you know. But he got thrown in a pit. And that guy was left by his brothers. And I imagine he heard them leaving, you know. You can hear a lot of things when you're down there by yourself in that pit. And here those guys took his multicolored robe and they left. One brother came back and said, man, I can't see that old boy dying in the pit. I think I'll just sell him in slavery, and I'll make some money off that deal. You sure don't want him dying like that. And so he sold him in slavery, and he finally got to Egypt. And you know the story. He got to Potiphar's house, and gee whiz. He had to go in there, and things were looking up. And then the wife fell in love with him, and she accused him of rape and all that kind of mess. There he went to prison. And now he's sitting there in prison and having this great big vision someday. Your sheaf will bow down and worship me. You know, huh? And sitting in prison, you lose track of time in a prison. They don't have a counter hanging on the wall that says, click, one day off, click. You know, you forget if this is January or February or July, only the heat tells you that. See, it all comes irrelevant. And so this old boy sitting in jail. And his dreams go all to pieces. And then one day, you remember how the guy had, the cupbearer had the 
dream, and he interpreted the dream, and, and he said, now be sure and remember me. Oh, yeah, no problem. I'll remember when you get out. You know, guy gets out, two years later, where's Joseph? Still in jail. See, without a vision, Joseph would have died probably in that jail. But one thing about it, he knows who got him out of that jail, and he knows who put him on the throne, and that was God Almighty in God's timing. God had put a dream down in his heart, and he learned to trust God because that's all he had in that jail. And I want to tell you something, when a guy had that kind of power, what do you think he would have done it when he got out of that jail? I would have eliminated, without God's help, <laughs> the Potiphar and his wife and everybody else had put me in that thing for all those six years eating worms back in those days. It wasn't like it is today. That was probably the rankest place that old boy ever been in his entire life. And he had a ability, and I imagine it took him a long time to get out of the attitude of retaliation. That's just my thinking. You can think on it. But if you were put in some place because you was guilty, that's one thing. But for being innocent and being thrown in there, that's horrible. And God kept Joseph built up. And one thing sure, when it came about, he knew that God did it. Joseph didn't have the timing or how to or whatever and how God was going to do it. He just had a choice uh, to trust in God and hope in God. And we can hope. We can choose not to be depressed or we can be depressed. We make the choice. And this is what I, Joseph made a choice and we need to make a choice. We need to stop trying to force God doing it our way and stop trying to make God respond the way we think he needs to do it. God will do it, and that's all that matters. He will fulfill that vision because he was the one that put the vision down in Joseph, and he's the one going to be putting the vision down in you or already has to put it down in you. Don't give up your vision. Just wait till God does it. Some of you have been shattered. Your dreams have been shattered so bad, and you know, almost feel like Joseph sitting in the, the last day and before he got released from the prison. You may feel like there's no hope left. But that's not true when God is your source. Hear me now. It's not true when God's your source. One day can make a tremendous difference in your life. You forgot about that one thing. You didn't even know about it that God has for you. How wonderful it is to be free of fear. How wonderful it is to be free of depression and discouragement. That freedom comes when we put our dreams in, in the hands of God and let it bring them past. You know, God wants you to start dreaming today of living with him forever. He wants you to start dreaming today of having all your needs met. He wants you to start dreaming of being free of fear. Get a glimpse of it. If you're in fear, if you're in discouragement, if you're in depression, start dreaming how wonderful it's going to be when I'm not. Because there are covenant promises in the Bible that God says if, he, if he'll do it for Abraham, if he'll do it for Joseph, he'll do it for you. See, this is what we need to learn today, that God is no respecter of people. He still moves by faith. And you might not physically be able to do a thing in the world, but you can believe God. A paralyzed person can have a tremendous amount of faith. A person in prison can have a tremendous amount of faith. The environment has nothing to do with your faith. It's a matter of choice to believe in God. 
We need to say what David says. Oh, my soul, why are you discouraged? Hope in God. That's the answer. Just keep up your hope. Don't let it die. Don't let it, this end of this year come out and say, well, you know, gee, I wish, you know. No, God's bringing it about. God's going to do it. I don't know how he's going to do it. Someone, invariably, somebody will come up to you and ask you, how is he going to do it? And I don't know. That's not my problem. God will do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're going to do it. Father, forgive us for being in the middle of it, trying to tell you how to do it. Because, Father, we, we don't have the understanding of how it's going to affect us or anybody around us. But, Father, you know very well where we're going and how we're headed and what we're going to be doing in the days to come. And so, Father, we thank you that you have our best interest in mind. Father, you are a good God, and don't ever let us forget that, Father. Because that's the key to us understanding that you have our best interest in mind because you're a good God all the time. And so, Lord, keep us in mindful of you. Keep us in right relationship with you. Keep our heart pure. Keep our thoughts on you, Father. We can't do it on our own. It's impossible with man, but everything is possible with you. And so, Father, we thank you for taking care of us. And we thank you this season we're going to knock this spirit of depression in the head. We're not going to have despair and despondency and, and all the kind of mess that goes in with, between now and Thanksgiving. Father, we're going to stay ahead of it. That's why you put it on my heart. Teach us today rather than wait until we get into it. Father, we're not even going to be tempted to get in despair. We're not even tempted to get depressed. We're not even going to be tempted to give up on you and wonder if you even care about us. Father, we're going to walk with our heads raised high and looking up. And come, saying, come Lord Jesus, because we're going to have move from glory to glory. And so, Father, we thank you for taking care of us this day, and we rejoice in you. As you stand your feet, and I want you to close your eyes. If there's someone here that has never asked Jesus Christ in their heart, we encourage you to do so today. Is the answer to every problem that you'll ever have now, or that you have now, that you'll ever have. Jesus Christ is the answer to everything. And the more we get in relationship with him, the better it gets, folks. That's why I love the song, you know, um, Victory in Jesus. Man, it's, it's the good news. And I, I'd rather be radical for Jesus and have victory than being, you know, like this and, and lose it all. Because the devil is going to come. He's going to work. The Bible says last days will be perilous times, and we don't have to go through those days. So if you never ask Jesus into your heart, I encourage you to do so now. And come down here and... Let's, let me talk with you just a moment. If there's someone here that has never asked Jesus Christ in your heart, I beg of you to come down and get that relationship worked out.